money, money, money must be funny in a rich man's world. Okay, terrible ABBA impression, but huge ABBA fun since I was a kid, hence the name of this podcast episode. Hello, moneymakers. Welcome to Bitch Prince. You have hustled, you have earned, and now on this episode of Bitch Prince, I want to help you guys on how to manage your money. I do work in the financial industry right now, but I am by no means a financial advisor or expert. This is just me communicating with you guys, my fellow career women, about how I've experienced managing my money and some tools that I think you guys will find helpful because it's definitely helped me along the way in my journey, which that journey is what, from age 22 to 28 now. So not that long of a journey, but still. Millennials, I am a millennial, much to a lot of people's dismay, we are not in college. I'm on the younger side of millennials and I'm pushing 30. Millennials have a lot of fear around money, partially because we've never really had it, (laughs) because of how the economy's gone with us growing up from the 2008 recession, 9-11, and all these other things with the housing bubble that happened that we experienced as children and affected our parents' livelihood, and then therefore really never got fully better enough. We do not live with our money in the same way that our parents did. Back in the 80s, when my parents were getting married and buying a house, it was extremely different times. I can't remember if I said this on a past podcast, but I'm just going to say it again. My husband and I watched an old kicker that was from like 9091 with Christina Applegate. And she was in high school, forged her resume to get a job in this movie called Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Babysitter died. Mom's out of town. They don't have money. She has to get a job. Okay. So she goes to be an executive assistant at a fashion something business company. Can't even remember. And her starting salary was around $35,000. Starting salaries now are still around $35,000. And that just blows my mind that that was in like late 80s, early 90s. So obviously everything's more expensive. The housing market, uh, living in general, cost of living, not only is our insurance more expensive from cars to life, but also just living in general is more expensive for us in these days. We have to have like Netflix or cable and we have to have a cell phone bill and there's just so many more necessary bills. So it blew my mind when I watched that video and her starting salary was $35,000. That's the equivalent of over 70 grand today. Spoiler alert, because this is an honest self-care podcast for my career women. I don't even make 70000 now, and I'm not at the beginning of my career right now. Not a, an entry-level employee by any means. And that's what Christina Applegate, if you do the math, was making as her starting salary. Basically, seventy grand is what thirty-five grand is worth in, in 1990. Blows my mind. So not only do we have more living expenses, but we are making significantly less, even if it might look like the same. Um, That was, what, 30 years ago? So, hello, inflation blows your mind. When I first started my career 
I was making around $35,000. I think eventually, you know, with raises, yada, yada, got up to thirty-eight. So even though I make a decent amount more than that now, again, still not at that 70 grand mark. We're working towards it. But even though I, I do make more than that now, I want to use that as an example because when you graduate college or you start your career after high school and this is the starting salary, it seems low. And that's because it is. And the sad part is that's a starting salary if you're working at corporate land or a startup, which is almost corporate land, but with beer. So there are plenty of people that are millennials that are making even less, way less than that because they aren't in the business world and they aren't working in corporate land. They have different trades and different career paths. So with this podcast, I'm going to kind of stick to that $35,000 mark because I think it would appeal to most people. And millennials like myself have a lot of fear, not only from what we've gone through and how we've never really had this money, but obviously we aren't taught enough about money in school. I think that's a commonality, a common idea between everyone. I do recall an elementary school going to Exchange City, which was that lovely little city. I'm sure it's called other things in other states or cities where you go and live in a fake city and you have fake jobs and make fake money and learn how to invest for your fake money. Except you don't really learn that much. What I recall the most was that my job, I was elected a lawyer and that was really exciting. And what I remember the most is being yelled at for walking on the fake grass. So while walking on the fake grass, I think I can recall learning one more thing at Exchange City and that's how to write a check. It's not really useful now, not that I don't write checks ever, but that's really the only takeaway was don't walk on the grass and uh, learning how to write a check. So thanks, Exchange City. And that was about the extent. I think we went to another similar one in middle school that talked more about like utilities and paying for utilities of your house and things like that. And all I remember from that is my mom volunteered and she laughed in my face because everyone who gave money to charity, you know, gave your fake money to charity in this middle school business and living simulation, simulation being on paper at this time, <laughs> nothing fancy. Everyone who gave to charity got a little philanthropist sticker. I didn't get a sticker. <laughs> so all these kids were walking out with philanthropist stickers and my mom just laughed at me because I didn't have one. And she was like, you didn't give any money to charity? My mom is uh, Christian and Jewish. She's a Messianic Jewish woman. And she definitely really does try to do the whole 10% of your paycheck to God. Um, I do mine in, in different ways and supporting the community and donating and things like that. But yeah, so my mom, who is definitely someone that gives to charity, just watched her daughter walk out of the middle school version of Exchange City without a philanthropy sticker. Sorry, mom, if you're listening. <laughs> so I learned how to write a check, maybe sort of learned that I had to pay utilities one day and that that was just like a thing. But that's, that's about it. So we didn't learn too much about how to handle money in school. And as a millennial, we don't have that much of it. So it's not like people my age are investing that much. I do have investments, but that is because my father passed away when I was 22. So if I that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have investments either. And 
I'm not really going to go into investments on this episode because obviously with COVID, investments aren't looking too hot right now. My only advice there is to not panic. Keep your money there and listen to your financial advisor. Don't do anything crazy. Uh, I started with Chase when I first got my investments because I was 22 years old and didn't know what the fuck I was doing, obviously. So I needed kind of a big name bank to, to help me out. And then I eventually moved to a private financial advisor. So I have a great relationship with him. I know that my investments aren't lucrative or messy, and he is really, really good at what he does. So I say, you know, if you're new to investments, I'll touch on, you know, start off and get some kind of investment account with Chase. All you have to do is make an appointment with a banker and they'll help you through it all. You're not expected to know everything. And if you're more experienced, then you can eventually move to a private financial advisor. But right now, if you do have investments, just keep them there. Do not panic. Obviously, it's not looking good right now in investment land, but it it will get better. So right now I'm kind of talking to my financial advisor, but I'm really trying to not (laughs) look at the numbers so I don't panic. But I really don't want to lean so much on investments with this episode. I really do just want to talk about money and living and saving because that's where a lot of us are at this time, especially people my age, fellow millennials that are, you know, around 26 to 35 probably might not be ready for that investment and you're just sitting here hoping you can buy a house one day. I'm one of the few of my friends that owns a home, pretty much Two other friends own a home, I think, and maybe that's it. Like my really, really close friends. Obviously, I have other friends that do, but a lot of my really close friends from high school, yeah, no, can't afford that. Renters for life. I'm just kidding, not for life. But And so, well, we don't really have this money, and a lot of my friends are still paying and paying and paying off their student loans, and that's not going away anytime soon. It seems insane to add a mortgage to that. And then... How do we save with the little money that we do have, especially compared to our parents? Millennials have this fear of money safety. And because of all we've gone through, we want our money to be safe. The little that we do make, we want it to be safe. And we also, me included, (laughs) need to get better at saving. I'm not that great at saving. But even if you have a smaller cash flow, there are ways that you can kind of help save your money a little bit more automatically so you're not thinking about it and it's kind of taken out of your paycheck before you even see it. And so hopefully that helps you not spend it or not be like, oh, I could have had this money. Well, never mind. I don't want to save that. That I really, really want to talk about today. So whether your cash flow smaller or you're rolling in the dough, these are all things that will apply to you in terms of saving because it's very easy as well if you do have a really awesome paycheck to think, have that mindset of, oh, okay, well, I'm secure because I have a paycheck rolling in all the time and it's this amount and it's a pretty high amount and you can still overspend very easily. Look at all the celebrities that go bankrupt. So this really applies to everyone. So how can we all save together? And I really do mean together because I super, super suck at saving. Where I have been able to save the most money, and I know this doesn't apply to everyone, but is with a 401k. And I also think it's one of those things that is the most maybe confusing or not even confusing, but more mystical when you enter the workforce. 
I don't remember ever really learning about a 401k besides the fact that it can be included in a job and it saves money. No one told me how much money to be saving, what it really does, how it allocates, nothing. So when I started my little career when I was 22 and I was working at a startup, they said, all right, you get a 401k, how much percentage of your paycheck would you like to put towards your 401k? And I had no freaking idea. So I was texting my mom, trying to ask her what she does and not really understanding what I should answer, what I should be filling out. And I didn't want to admit that to my new job. I wanted to look intelligent and mature. And obviously not knowing what a 401k is made me feel like a baby. So when it comes to a 401k, I highly suggest everyone has one. If you have this as an option within your job and you don't have one, literally insane. I totally understand if you're making on the lower end of the spectrum, you know, closer to that 30,000 range, I get that it is painful to think of anything else coming out of your paycheck than what's already freaking coming out and going to the government. But it really does make a difference in your saving and it, it really won't make this giant dent in your monthly paychecks like you think because they're taking it out each paycheck so it's a a little percentage and that's spread across an entire year and so it really really is very minuscule when you come when you think about budgeting and monthly income and things like that 401k is really really the best way to start so what the hell do you put towards it A 401k is something that your company has that um, is kind of their way of doing, you know, investments. And they will match a certain percentage up to a certain percentage and will increase over time. When you get that form and you're ready to say what you want to, what percentage you want to contribute, The first thing is figure out how much your company will match. Usually this is in the like three to 6% range, probably closer to the 3% range. You want to for sure do at least as much as they are going to contribute. So if they are set at 6%, you need to be contributing 6% because that means you'll be earning double. So if you do 2%, and they are matching 3% up to 3%, then that is a loss of money on your part because your company would be giving you more money if you were also contributing a little bit more. So definitely ask what your company will match and make sure that you're contributing to that percentage up to. First and absolute foremost. And don't be shy to ask this if it's not clear on the form. This is something that they should provide to you automatically. And if they don't, it is a completely intelligent question to be asking because it is per company. There's not one set percentage that a company will match up to. It is really a per company decision. So if they don't let you know up front or on the form, for sure ask how much they will match up to percentage-wise. The other thing that on a 401k form that you will be able to select is if you want your 401k to automatically, that percentage that you are putting towards your 401k to increase each year. And that's going to be 1% each year. The answer is yes. That might sound scary. 
but it does cap at a certain percentage. You're not just going to be adding 1%. You work somewhere for 30 years and it's like 30% or something. It's just 1% a year. And the reason why you want to do this is ideally you're going to be making more money every year. If you work for a valuable company, and I do mean a valuable company, then they will be giving you yearly raises. If you do not get yearly raises, I really do think that you should look into getting another job at a different company. You should be getting yearly raises, obviously, that they are completely performance-based. So, you know, it might only be 1% to 3%, 3% being usually the highest if you're not getting a promotion. But if you get a 2% raise, then 1% of that would basically be now going into your 401k because that year you will have automatically had it up 1%. So I know it might sound like, well, no, I want the new money, the more money that I'm getting now. But this is really the smart thing to do because ideally you should be getting multiple percentage pay raise each year and then some of that just that one percent will go into your 401k so that's really the idea it's a complete balance as you get a raise a little bit more goes into your 401k so you'll still be making a little bit more money it's really all about tricking your mind into thinking that you aren't saving when you want to save these kinds of tools like a 401k is what gets you there because you don't see it. You don't look at your 401k every day unless you have it as on an app on your phone or something. I do not. But you usually don't look at your 401k every day and your paycheck is always still going to increase when you get that pay raise even if you have it automatically filled out on your 401k form to up your contribution 1% each year. Highly suggest that. Personally, with my 401k, when I was working at a startup, when I first started, so I was making around that $35,000 to $38,000 range, I did the up at 1% each year because they did annual raises, and I usually got the highest one. Woohoo! Yeah, good annual reviews. So I wanted to contribute just 1%, which is just a portion of that raise, now to my 401k. You make more, you save more. It's logical. And when I was making about thirty-five to 38000 a year, little baby 23-year-old Mallory would try to save about 6%. So I think my company only matched 3% at that time, but it, 6% is a really nice starting point and range. If you're too fearful and you just want to start at that 3 that is fine. But a really nice little sweet spot is kind of that 6% range. And then as I worked there for a couple years, it got up to 8%. So I was contributing 8% of my salary to a 401k. And in just two years, in just two years, I accumulated $5,000 in savings without even trying or looking. And that was at an under $40,000 salary. So it really can make an impact. That is why I definitely say start between the 3 and 6% range, definitely whatever your company will match you, because then that's really double. But 6 is kind of that sweet spot, because I was around that 6 to 8% range throughout my two years, and $5,000 resulted from that. Of course, it's my money. It's not like it came out of thin air, but that was $5,000 that I 
100% would not have saved myself in two years if I hadn't had that 401k set up. When I changed jobs, I obviously had that $5,000 in the 401k with my past company. So where does that money go? Another thing that you don't get taught that you really should get taught. It was a question I also had, had no idea what to do. Don't even remember who gave me the answer. But the answer is when you do switch jobs and you have a 401k, All you need to do is contact the HR person or whoever was in charge of your benefits and say, hey, I would like, you know, to obviously, I'm switching jobs, I'm leaving this company, I want my money. And they have forms for this. They have forms for everything. They have special forms exactly for this. Don't feel like you're taking money or you should feel bad because I know as women, for some reason, we are just programmed to always feel bad about asking when it has anything to do with money, ridiculous. So let's get comfortable with our money because it is our money and you've earned it. And part of self-care is not the bubble baths, not the spending all the money on consumerism that sort of makes you feel good for about two seconds. It's about managing your money. Self-care is all about making yourself Secure. You earn this money. You should know how to utilize it as a tool in your life, not just as a consumerism paper to get some cool things that you want. Money is kind of power, and you should have that power over your own life. And managing your money in a healthy way is self-care for your entire life, your living situation, and your well-being. Because when you're not stressed about money, then that is a huge thing off of your plate. Stress about money causes the most friction in marriages, in any relationship with roommates, and of course with yourself. If you're on your own paying for all your shit, set yourself up to succeed and try your best not to have to live paycheck to paycheck and maybe save some money on the side. Managing money is self-care. So when you're ready to switch jobs, you go to the HR, you get the form, you fill it out. And then you go to the HR department that you currently work for and make sure that they know that you're going to roll that money over to them if you are going to do that. I didn't do that. What I would suggest is after you fill out your form with your past company that you worked at, you roll that money into what's called an IRA. And that is a, an account that you can get with your bank or credit union. And you'll want to get an IRA for any of your 401ks that you are rolling over when you switch jobs. It's really smart to do it this way because then nothing gets really lost or messy because a lot of us, especially millennials, you do switch jobs a decent amount. Your career path, a lot of times, is going to move you to different companies because Let's be honest, a lot of times you don't get a promotion or a significant pay raise unless you move companies. That's the reality of being a millennial. We don't live in a world like our parents where promotions were built into the company and promotions were built into the structure of everyone's job titles. Job titles, as much as HR will say that, you know, of course they think of them and they do, 
but job titles are much more all over the place. There's obviously still a hierarchy, but that is very flexible and malleable and changes frequently. There isn't this really straight line path anymore for people my age for careers. There is not. So you are going to be changing companies a lot when you're ready to have more responsibility, to do more, to change it up, to get a better promotion or money or what have you. I have definitely had to move to different companies because I wanted to literally do more. And the company that I worked at, that just, there was no more to do. It was a startup. And so I needed to go somewhere, a little big name company that was a little more corporate for my own growth and for money growth, of course. But that's the reality. We're going to be changing jobs way more frequently than our parents did. And especially our grandparents. I mean, my dad worked for the same company for like, 25, 30 years, I think 25 years. So he still kind of falls into that grandparents range of you find one job and that's your job for forever. That is 0% the reality anymore for us as millennials. When you switch jobs and you fill out this form, you get an IRA with your bank or credit union and that money will roll into this IRA. It will be part of the form that you fill out. So you give them your account information. So make sure you meet with your bank before this or credit union to get that IRA account set up. And then that money will just transfer from your 401k, your old company, to this IRA. And then you will be able to view it on your bank or credit union's mobile app. And you'll be able to see it. And it's there. And so that way, especially if you're changing jobs multiple times, that's a safe place to keep that 401k going, to keep it in a safe spot where you will not touch it because you don't want to take money out of an IRA. You can get taxed and you don't want to do that. Um, and yes, you would get taxed again for taking it out too early. I don't know. Ask your financial advisor. I don't know the exact time. <laughs> I'm not a banker. But you put it in IRA, it's safe there. For me right now, I have got my money from my startup company, I've got that in an IRA from that 401k, and then of course, I've got a 401k with my current company. I honestly couldn't tell you how much is even in there, and I've been there for three and a half years, and I make a decent amount more money than at the startup, So, and I've gotten sort of-ish promotions, so you know, probably looks pretty good. I should take a look at that. Right now, as I said, with my previous role when I was making under that 40 grand mark, I was contributing between 6 and 8% because I was getting bumped up 1% each year as I got my yearly raises. With my current company, I do make more money. And at this point, I contribute about, I think it was 9% last year and I'm at 10% now. I do contribute 10% of my paycheck to my 401k. I can afford it and I am still able to easily pay for all of my living expenses and I still make more per paycheck than I did at my startup when I was a little baby 22 to 25 year old. My financial advisor had told me at one point that the perfect number to contribute to a 401k is 15%. That is like the goal of what you want to get to one day. For me that is far too much of my paycheck. That's just 5% too much. I'm going to chill at 10% for a while, which is still extremely good, extremely good. So if you're just starting out, like I said, at least start with whatever percentage that your company will match up to. 
If you can get to that 6% range, that would be great as a, you know, starting out in your career. And then I really do say once you get closer to 30 and you've been, you know, working for over five years now, then I would say really try to get to that 10%. I'm really happy with it. But apparently, if you're super, super rich and you can afford it, 15% is the sweet spot in case you were wondering. But even if that's just way too much for you like it is for me, all that matters is that you are saving. If you're contributing to a 401k at all, your money is being saved, it is growing, and that is so positive. The other way that you can kind of save money on your own and have that in your bank account to be a little bit more fluid and that you can see it every day when you open your mobile application to your bank or credit union is automating savings out of your paycheck through that mobile application. I have something set up where for each paycheck, I think I you can set up rules. And f- so when each paycheck comes in, which I get one every other Friday, then I have... 50 bucks taken out and put into my joint account with me and my husband so that we can, you know, build our savings together and then 100 into my own account. If I'm being honest, and this is an honest podcast, I a lot of times will maybe cancel the $100 to my own account because I'm a horrible saver and I am definitely a spender. I always keep that 50 bucks going to the joint account because that is teamwork, team effort. But I'd be lying if I said that I really do keep all of the automated savings that I save to my own private personal savings account. It's reality. Another reason why a 401k is so important. But you can have that automated. I am not sure how many banks and credit unions currently do that. I have Chase and that is an option and it's fairly new option. I don't even think they've had that as a tool within the mobile app for even a year but you are able to set up rules and automate that when a certain amount of money gets into direct deposit into your account, your checking or savings account, that it will save that money. So that's what mine is set up as. You can either do it based on frequency, I believe, so automatically do it every other Friday, or you can do it based on if this much money gets deposited into my direct deposit, checking account, then make sure to push that to my, push this amount to my savings. So it really does help you out and then you don't even have to think about it. And if you are better than I am, then you will be saving more and more because it comes out of your paycheck before you even see your paycheck. So you won't even really realize that it's gone. Okay, you'll maybe realize it's gone, but it'll be way easier to save because it automatically does it for you and takes it out of your direct deposit. There are other tools and apps that do a similar thing, maybe a little bit more advanced because you can make some crazy rules. My favorite that I have used is called Capital and it's Q-A-P-I-T-A-L, I believe. And Capital will connect directly to your bank account, so your direct deposit checking account, and it will save money and transfer that money over. And if you ever want to take money out of Capital, then you can do that. It usually takes two or three days for them to get that money back over to your normal bank accounts. Um, But it really is fast and reliable. I've had it for years. 
And it's really, really great, not only for the same reason as automating that savings from your paycheck through your bank or credit union's mobile app, but this one's way more fun because you get to set really fun rules. And then it helps you not spend money that you really want to go to something. So if you're saving all of your money in one savings account, then it can really get lost what that money's supposed to go to. Do you have money for that upcoming trip? Do you have money for that expensive purse you might wanna buy? Do you have money for when you wanna add into your investments a little more? It can get lost. With capital, you can actually create different goals and set up individual rules for every single goal. So for me, I have a general savings one, and this is my rule that I use for this, is if I don't spend money to, like a certain amount of money to give me money, and it, I also have one that is called a round, round up, I think, and when you do spend money, it'll round up the cents to the next dollar and then save that. So if you spend, you know, 2260 on something, it'll round it up to 23 and take that 40 cents from your direct deposit account with your bank or credit union and put it in your capital savings in that in your application. And that one just kind of it's almost like no, it literally is like a digital piggy bank. So instead of putting your change in a piggy bank or in a jar, Capital does it digitally. And it really is kind of a fun visual. So it's your digital piggy bank. The other rule that I do is I have a, uh, I have a little capital goal of Paris and Amsterdam. For my 30th birthday, which is only a year and a half away, my one goal is to get to Paris. I wanted to go since I was eight years old. I know that other parts of France people will say are way better if you get into the countryside, but I, I just want to go to Paris so bad. So my thing with my husband is you don't have to get me any presents or anything like that for my 30th birthday. You don't have to throw me a party. I just want you to be willing to pay your part to go to Paris and then we'll do Amsterdam as well since, you know, we'll be there and Amsterdam's more his thing. Not that I'm going to hate it. I'm Jewish, so I'm really excited to go to the Anne Frank Museum. But anyway... I digress. So I have a goal set up in capital for this Paris trip because I do suck at saving. <laughs> and it will help me look and say, look, you've got Paris. It lets you pick a little image from the internet. You've got the Eiffel Tower. It's shiny. It's glittery. glittery. Look how enticing. And it will say, look, this is to Paris. Leave the money here. Don't spend it. This is how much money you have to get to Paris. And so it's really nice because I get to see that that exact amount is what's going towards this trip. It's not lost within the accumulation of my savings account as a whole. And for my Paris account, I have a few other different rules. Um, I think one of them is that it saves like a dollar more each week out of the whole year. So like week two, it saves $2. Week three, it saves $3. So then by the end, you know, 52 weeks in a year, it saves $52. And so that just keeps adding, adding, adding up and just incrementally each week more is being put in. So I think I have that for my Paris one. And I'm trying to think of the other rules I have. I know I have one for that, that when my direct deposit reaches a certain amount to, to take out money as well. But it's it's a digital piggy bank. 
on crack. <laughs> no. It's it really you can create all these really really fun rules that is fun to set up and then you just leave it. You set it and forget it. Capital's also really great that it doesn't overdraft you. If you get lower than I think 100 bucks in your direct deposit account that it takes from, it will pause all of your capital rules. So it's really really good about that as well. Um, that's helpful for a lot of people, I'm sure. So that is one of the tools that I use as my digital piggy bank to help me save without really having to think about it and to try and make it a little more fun. If you have any joint accounts with your partner, you know, this is also really important to make sure that you're contributing together. Like I said, I put 50 bucks per paycheck. It's not that you know, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to say it's that much because to some people it is, but you know, it's easy for me to put in 50 bucks twice a month. Um, I can afford that. That's a hundred bucks a month into a joint account. Now, when it comes to joint accounts, I know things will get a little bit harder when it comes to saving and things like that, because it's not only your decision. My opinion on joint accounts, if you're wondering, do I have them? Yes. Do I have all of my accounts joint? No. When it comes to your financial journey, if you are single, then obviously that is all your choice. If you do have a partner or you're married, you might want to be thinking about money together as a whole. And like I said at the beginning of the podcast, money is one of the biggest stressors that causes some of the biggest arguments in any relationship. And so it still is very important self-care and a way to make your relationship be healthy when you are communicating about money in a healthy way. So setting up automated savings definitely helps because then there's no question that everyone's contributing and no one has to ask it and, oh, did you make sure to put this much of your money in this paycheck or what have you been saving? Everyone knows. Set up the rules, set it and forget it. Everyone's contributing. If you're kind of wondering, should I do joint accounts or not, everyone's scenario is different. But my opinion and what my husband and I do is that we have some joint and some not. We lived together for four years before we were married. And obviously at that time, our accounts were completely separate. I think we went to Disney World when we were dating. We were living together and we did get a Disney World credit card because you earn points and you earn little extra points and then you can put it towards all your Disney stuff. And that was honestly really awesome to have a joint credit card because then we could just put things like groceries and maybe gas if we were, you know, one person was driving more or something like that or just anything big that we wanted to buy and we knew we wanted to split. We could just put it on that credit card, earn points, and then we just make sure to each pay half of it, you know, at the end of the month or sooner than that. I definitely pay my credit card off like every paycheck. I put some money on my credit card. I don't just like wait till the end of the month. I think that's kind of an older generation thing when you actually had to mail in checks was to sit down with that monthly check and pay off that credit card bill. Since everything's digital now, I don't sit down once a month and pay off my credit card bill. I make sure I do that every time I get a paycheck. I make sure I'm putting towards as much as I need. Obviously not maybe paying it off fully till the end of the month, but 
yeah, I don't know. That's just me. But anyway, joint accounts. <laughs> Tangent. So when we got married, we did really like that feeling of that Disney credit card. It was really easy to be able to split things and split bills because we do both work. We are professionals and I don't have any plan on changing that. I don't want kids, but if we would have kids, I would hope to one day be making more and he's the stay-at-home dad. So we just, we like that we both contribute and we both like having our own money. So it works. We're independent people even when we're together. So for all of my career women who are in a partnership or a marriage but are still very independent, my best solution is to have some joint accounts and not all. So your direct deposit account where you get your paycheck, keep that personal. Keep a personal savings account. So if you suck like I do and sometimes you need to take some out because you bought too much shit, then you can do that and it's your freaking business. You get to manage that part of your money how you want as long as you are always paying for the utilities and the mortgage or rent and groceries, as long as you can equally contribute just as your partner can. The other spending money, it's not not their business, but it's still your money to manage how you want. And even though it's healthy to discuss money fluidly, sometimes it feels good to have that privacy. And if you are independent and you have your own career and your own income, if I want to buy a fucking dress, I'm going to buy a fucking dress if I can afford it. So you don't need to know that. Like, I'm going to do, that's my money. I made it and I'm responsible with my money and I'm going to buy this dress. <laughs> you deserve the dress. <laughs> so we did that where we kept our personal accounts, like a savings account, a credit card. Um, I think we each also have a debit card. I never use my debit card. And our direct deposit, savings, direct deposit, credit card, debit card. So we each have our own personal ones still. We did not get rid of it. We did not join it. We did not add each other to our accounts. We cannot see those on opposite sides. And that's really nice because it would feel way too icky if we were nickeling and diming each other and micromanaging our each other's money. That's just, it just seems so icky to me. And it didn't seem like it would add anything to our financial health or literacy and definitely not our relationship. So it just didn't seem necessary. But when we got married, we decided to get a couple additional joint accounts. So we got a joint credit card so that we could do what we did like with the Disney experience where instead of one person putting it on their credit card, we would put it on the joint and we would know that we both each owe half of this. So we've got a joint credit card and we have a joint savings account, which is the one that I put 50 bucks to every paycheck. And that joint savings account is really awesome for tax season when we file our taxes together and then we just put that tax return right there. Right now with COVID, we are getting the stimulus checks and that's just going straight into our joint account. We've made the decision that we're just gonna put it towards mortgage because, you know, why not? That makes sense and maybe that'll help us save a little on the personal side as well since our mortgage will be covered with that stimulus. Hope those keep coming, just saying. That sounded greedy, but I do, and I especially hope those keep coming for everyone that severely, severely depends on it. I really hope that our government keeps supporting its people because that's the point. Anyway, off my political soapbox. 
So really, again, the joint accounts are totally up to you. I know plenty of people that got married and joined all the accounts. I know people that are married where one person, usually the wife, manages the money and handles that situation. So the husband has clear visibility into it, but the wife kind of manages the spending. I would honestly have my husband manage the spending, even though it would drive me fucking nuts <laughs> because he would nickel and dime the shit out of me. But my husband is a way better saver than I am. So he would definitely manage it. But most of my friends, they're the money managers. So their husbands don't buy a bunch of like video games and motorcycles or fancy, I don't know, drones. <laughs> but we are really, really passionate about agreeing upon certain things that we're going to spend money on, like outdoor furniture. All right, we got the stimulus check. You know, we can use some money from our tax check then and our tax refund and get a, an affordable outdoor furniture. And we're really good at discussing that. So Again, some people like to join all of their accounts in a partnership. Some don't at all. I really recommend having some joint and some still personal because after all, you are married, you are in a partnership, and you should have some part of your financial health and finances together and reach goals together. Money is stressful, but it is necessary, and it's really important to be able to handle that in a positive way with your partner. So that's just my opinion. So those are the ways that I really try to save money. Again, I really could be better at it. I am not an expert at all, but I hope that helps a little bit because I know for me that when I was starting out, I really did feel completely clueless and that felt unsafe to me. I felt safe with my bank, but I did want financial literacy we all know that we can hide money in a sock under our bed and that we can put coins in the slot of a piggy bank, but there are tools out there to help you save with the money that you do have, and there are ways built in with your work um, and other ways, other account types with your bank, like an IRA, that can help you save without you even really having to formally invest and feel afraid of your money being in an investment portfolio. So I hope this helped. Thank you for listening to the latest Bitch Print podcast episode. If you have any questions, feel free to DM me on Instagram. It's at Mallory.Blaine at M-A-L-L-O-R-Y dot B-L-A-Y-N-E. And if there's anything about money or financial literacy that you do want me to cover in the future, we're just scratching the surface today, ladies. So please ask me questions. Suggest any topics that you think would be helpful when it comes to being a career woman in this insane world and keeping your independence while also maintaining proper self-care and being honest with yourself so that we can all live our best life and, of course, leave our mark. This week's shout out is going to actually go to my best friend in the whole world. She is my friend soulmate. You'll hear me say that quite often. I do believe we all have more than one soulmate in this world, and that includes friendships. Look up some Victorian novels, you know? Back then they married people for marriage and dowry, and really their closest and most intimate emotionally relationships were with friends. So I call my tribe and my best friends my friend soulmates. So I'm giving her this shout out. Her first name is Haley. 
because she just got a promotion. She works within the Air Force and she has been working her ass off getting her master's in biology or shit, microbiology. Oh my God, Haley, don't hate me when you listen to this. And while doing all of this school and work at a job that wasn't her absolute favorite, she has freaking gotten a promotion and I'm so proud of her and beyond excited that she's going to be doing a little bit more of something she will enjoy doing on a day-to-day basis while she just pushes forward on that master's and eventually a PhD. So badass woman in my life and my friend soulmate. And with that, Thanks for listening to another episode of Bitch Prince. Catch you next week and make sure that you continue to leave your mark.